Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to Unscrewed, the show that knows that real liberation includes sexual liberation. I'm your host, Jacqueline Friedman, and I'm really excited about this week's show because you always hear me bang on about how we should be politically organizing around pro-sex people, right? People who vote based on sexual freedom. Uh, And if you recall in the episode, This Is Why We're Bad at Sex, which was about Tumblr and adult content bans and all of that stuff, uh, the fabulous uh, Elle Chase when I said that on that episode, was like, you should talk to Fiona Patton, who's doing that in Australia. And I said, tell me more. And guess who we have on the show today? We have the very Fiona Patton, who is the leader and founder of the Reason Party, originally called the Australian Sex Party, who currently holds a seat on the Victorian Legislative Council representing the Northern Metropolitan Region. Fiona, it is such a pleasure to welcome you to Unscrewed. Thank you, Jacqueline. It's great to be here. I have every question for you. But first, as you know, we have to go through our little lightning round of questions. Right. Yes. So literally the first first question is what's been making you happy this week? Well, I was really lucky to go to one of my best friend's wedding on the weekend. Married for the first time at 54. So I know that was just gorgeous. And all our friends were there and we... You know, saw the dawn in, drank too much, and generally had a beautiful time. That sounds just perfect. What's the best sex advice you ever received? You know, I knew you were going to ask this, so I was thinking about this. <laughs> and um, the only thing that really came to mind was um, when giving a head job, keep your chin up. <laughs> Excellent. What's been making you maddest or saddest about the sexual culture or sexual politics in the news lately? I think what's been kind of confounding me is the fact that when, you know, the Me Too movement, which is wonderful and was so necessary, but we're kind of forgetting about the positives of sex. Yes. All we're talking about is the negatives, which is important for us to do. But actually, we should also be saying, hey, I had great sex last night. And I was talking to an Indian woman about this and she said, look, we're trying to get away from being victims. We're trying to have our, you know, be women with our own sexual autonomy. But we're constantly being barraged about the negatives of sex and how we need to be careful and we can't walk home alone and all of this. And in fact, I insist on walking home alone because I refuse to cower 
to to assholes. But I'd like to hear us talking more about when we have good sex, not just when we have bad sex. I couldn't agree with you more. And I honestly think that we have to talk about them simultaneously, like that it's not just, you know, in, in a Me Too context, it's not just that we're outraged that people are hurting us, but that being hurt and being treated like sexual objects and like we don't have sovereignty over our own bodies actually impairs our ability to enjoy our own bodies and to enjoy sex and that we're being robbed of that right that it's not just oh don't hurt us but like don't rob us of our pleasure yeah that's that's exactly right that's exactly right and I feel like that's sort of been a missing part of the conversation recently We've been fighting to be sex positive. We've been fighting to to have the slut walks and all of the things that we've been doing around female sexuality and autonomy. And then I feel like that, we, that voice is being a bit lost at the moment. Yeah, I agree. All right. What is a myth about sex that you once believed but don't believe anymore? <laughs> that it's where babies come from. Um, <laughs> I mean, that is in some cases true. It is occasionally true. It is occasionally true. Um, but I think more often it's not true. More often yeah. the baby doesn't come from that sex. I think the first myth that my mother tried to instill in me is that you only have sex with people that you love. Uh, and I think we have sex for all sorts of reasons. Yeah. And love you is know. a valid reason, but not nearly the only one. And, you know, that women don't like porn. That's, you oh, know, I, I yes. that. And that all porn is misogynistic and bad. Yes. Well, that's a, a whole bunch of them rolled up into one. Yeah. Yes. All right. Last question. Who's somebody who's doing brave work to unscrew the sexual culture that you want to give a shout out to? I'd actually like to give a shout out to a friend of mine who has been so brave, Cindy Darnell, and she has picked up sticks, sold everything, and moved to New York from Melbourne. That um, is incredibly brave. It was so brave. And to set up her sexual therapy business over in New York. So she's just, I, I just think she's the bravest person and she's so wonderful. All right. I have done a, a bit of reading about you, but not everyone listening has. So maybe you can start us sort of with the or, your origin story. How did you come to found a political party centered on sexual freedom? Um, oddly, and I think this is this is probably quite common for people going into politics. It was frustration, and it was frustration that I was seeing. Um, I was seeing our, our society and our community going in one direction around sex, around drugs, around, um, you know, civil liber- other civil liberties such as censorship. And I was seeing our government going in the opposite direction. So, you know, our government refused to, to recognise um, same-sex marriage, refused. Our censorship was just getting out of control. In fact, one of our politicians here... Uh, well, not just one, many have called for, you know, the most bizarre Chinese internet censorship over here. So it was, I know. So I w- I'd been running an industry association called the Eros Association, which re- represented the adult industry in Australia. And, you know, logical arguments, research, everything just was not taking effect. So we thought, well, look, if we can't beat them with evidence and polling and logical arguments, let's take these issues to the ballot box. And and we did. So I had, yeah, so I've been working with the, I founded the Eros Association with one of your 
Native's Nina Hartley. Sure, yeah. Yes, she came out to Australia and helped us launch the foundation as it was then in 1992. And then sort of over that time, the association grew and it grew a political party, which, as you mentioned in the intro, was called the Australian Sex Party. And that was in 2009, 2010. And then I was officially elected in for the first time in 2014. And then we changed our name to Reason because while being the sex party was fantastic, <laughs> you know, it, it it certainly got attention, but it was hard for people to see to see past the name quite often and see that we actually represented and we actually had numerous policies and that we we were not what people call single issue. Not that I would ever call sex a single issue. We moved on from there. But yeah, so I've been involved in the sex industry since the early 1990s when I was a a sex worker, but I was also an HIV and AIDS educator. And that's where I kind of saw the discrimination around HIV and AIDS. And um, I saw my friends dying. And that's probably when I became politically motivated. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the story of a lot of folks on our side of the world as well. Yes, yes. So when you started the party, did people think you were nuts? Like, like I, I'm just trying to imagine when I think about it, <laughs> trying to do such a thing in the United States. And it, like, we can't even talk about sex education, right? Like, we, hmm. there's just so much prudery and pearl clutching and we just passed sesta fosta and you know like so yeah things are so backwards when i think about organizing sex positive folks to the polls as a party i just think that we would be on saturday night live right (laughs) which maybe would be good maybe a good recruiting tool did people make fun at first Absolutely. People made fun and and we made fun of ourselves as well. I mean, you can't call yourself the sex party and then try and take yourself too seriously. So I think it was actually about bringing some humour into politics and into the campaigns. And, you know, we said things like, where you come first. (laughs) I think that was our first slogan. But we did have many policies and what we felt was that it gave us an opportunity for people to to draw attention to a whole bunch of issues. So which, as I mentioned, were things like Internet censorship, which was just going in completely the wrong direction here. Yeah. It was about marriage equality. It was about sex education. It was about small businesses that we were representing. It was about gender equity. So there were all issues that did wrap around sex and sexuality but yeah people laughed at us people got very angry at us I mean walking around with a bright yellow t-shirt with sex written in big bold red letters emblazoned on your front some people found that confronting at 7am at the train stations (laughs) when we were handing out how to vote cards and things like that Um, but it also lots of people said I saw the name and then I saw the policies and we got a pretty good vote the first in 2010. And, and as I say, we, we actually got elected in 2014. But you can only do that for so long. And, um, you right. know, kind of almost the joke, the joke, the joke wears thin. But it you puts know, you we, on the map. Still yeah, it puts you on the map. Um, but it, it does take a certain type of person willing to stand as a candidate for the sex party. And we had some really great people really sex positive people, it probably did limit us 
in finding lots of candidates and, and particularly women who were willing to put their hand up for the sex party. What would you say are your accomplishments so far? I have been very fortunate that I think having operated as a lobbyist for nearly 20 years, being a member of parliament, I don't see much of a difference. I'm still a lobbyist, but I have the mobile phone numbers of the most important representatives now. You're a more effective lobbyist now, yeah. Uh, Yeah, that's right. It's hard for them to keep me out of the building when I'm in the building. But I initiated a end-of-life choices inquiry when I was first elected, and that was the first thing I promised, which people were a bit confounded by because the sex party gets elected and the first thing I want to talk about is dying. Right. But I initiated the end-of-life choices inquiry, which resulted in us um, introducing voluntary-assisted dying legislation that passed uh, last year. That's fantastic. Yeah, so that was pretty amazing. I also initiated when I was very early on my peace side, I set up a legislation to provide buffer zones around abortion clinics in Uh. Victoria. And due to a typo, rather than a 50 metre buffer zone, we now have a 150 metre buffer zone. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's delightful. It's great. (laughs) Um, So, yes, so so those protesters that harass and berate clients of the abortion clinics and the staff of those clinics must now stand 150 metres away from the clinic, uh, which has been a wonderful thing. They stand at Parliament, and I think that's the right place for them to be. Yeah. You know, you're entitled to free speech, just not a free audience. And so we did that. I introduced the first Uber ride-sharing legislation here, which put the taxi drivers off, uh, I have to say. I you know, it wasn't very popular in any mm. taxis at some time, but it was the right thing to do. And our, our overdose issues and our opioid addiction issues aren't actually as profound as North America. But in one of the areas that I represent, in a 300 square metre area, uh, over 30 people had died from an overdose in, in 12 months from a heroin overdose. <sighs> Yeah, so we got legislation and I managed to get um, the introduction of a supervised injecting centre in that area so we could could save some lives and and, and hopefully help, you know, provide those people an entree into a health system that would support them when they're ready to... um, to move into to move into treatment uh, for their addiction, so that was great. And we did a. I finally got a. Um, I, I finally got our parliament to accept petitions online rather than only by pen and paper. I'm moving for us to not just table those petitions, but now actually look at how we respond to those community petitions and how governments should respond to them. I have kind of a nerdy political question, which is that I saw your party described as libertarian and certainly reason shares its name with the libertarian paper. Yeah. But your policies don't overlap a ton with what we recognize as American libertarian, which mostly is about there being as little government (laughs) as possible and not about getting government involved in helping to support people and take care of people, which you're surely in favor of in a lot of cases. So do you describe yourself as a libertarian? Is that different than how I understand libertarian being in the US? It's probably a little bit different, but I would describe myself as a civil libertarian. Oh, that's a different thing. 
That's right. That's right. So tell me what you mean by that. Well, I think once you put the civil in front of it, it is about creating a civil society where, yes, we have... We don't want government intervention in our private lives, largely speaking. And I think things like drug law reform and certainly censorship are two areas where governments really shouldn't be involved. But we do need a safety net. We do need universal health systems. We do need good roads. We do need good infrastructure. And that requires good government. So I believe in good government, but a government that is no bigger than it needs to be and a government that doesn't interfere with the rights of the individual as private citizens when they shouldn't be. But, you know, we do need government intervention to to also keep us safe and to provide us with the services that make for a civil society. So you don't want to drown government in the bathtub? No, I don't. (laughs) No, I don't. And in fact, I'm kind of thinking at the moment, how do we get society to trust its government more? Yeah. Because I think we have such low trust of our governments that suspicion of government is really um, dangerous is too strong a a word i think it is dangerous and it's it winds up being cruel i mean it really winds up redounding to this sort of everyone for themselves anti Mm. anti community anti-society idea that that really we are all just have to take care of ourselves and and the people we know yeah. and everybody else be damned. And it's Yeah, exactly, Jacqueline. Exactly. And I think that that does lead to a whole range of issues where if we lose trust in our politicians and we lose trust in our government, that yeah, everyone for themselves and you know, we become completely disengaged with the political system, which then means we don't understand the system and then we elect people who we probably shouldn't elect, or we vote for people for the wrong reasons. I can't imagine what you might be talking about. I know. <laughs> we've got we've got a few in our country too. I have heard. I definitely have heard. So I'm going to switch gears slightly, yeah, and ask you about your experience of getting into politics and what it's been like for you. Has it been has it been what you expected? Has has it been scary sometimes? I can only imagine you get death threats, like. What's it like on a personal level to be sticking your neck out on issues that a lot of people consider third rail issues? That's true. And I I certainly have had death threats. Um, Probably I got more death threats before I was elected than after I was elected. But yeah, look, coming in here, in fact, in my inaugural speech, I said I may be the first sex worker to hold a seat in this place, but I no doubt thousands of clients have come before me. And <laughs> wow, and you said that in the chamber. Wow. I bet it got cold in that room. <laughs> Apparently, I was too nervous to look, but people were telling me that there was a few people sort of went red faced. Um, people, there was a lot of people looking at their shoes. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's, and it's probably true. But when I was doing that, one of the member MPs here, one of my colleagues, was um, texting his mate up in the the gallery saying, oh, you know, what's she going to swear on? I bet she'll swear on a vibrator. And um, then... <laughs> uh, yeah. I kind of wish you had. I, well, if, if I had been, if I could have, I would have. <laughs> I didn't realise. I thought it was only like the Bible or the Torah or you take an affirmation. But um, <laughs> apparently I could have brought my own device in and, <laughs> and sworn on that. <laughs> 
And then they said something like, oh, you know, she probably would have creamed herself on the soup, you know. Like it was just, oh. um, it was really childish humour. What they didn't realise was a f- friend of mine was behind the guy in the gallery and was seeing the text messages and took a photo of it. So I released that to the media. I released it to a journo. And then I didn't say who it was, but I went and slipped a copy of the story under his door. So he knew. Well done. <laughs> that I knew. There's been that, that kind of um, childish, you know, giggling around the word sex and all of those sorts of things. But probably the most common thing people, people say to me is, but you seem so nice. Like they're really surprised. Uh, yes. <laughs> right, because you can't simultaneously be a sex worker or a sexual woman of any kind and also be nice, right? Because you have to be like exactly. a devil harlot. It's so tiring. It's so tiring. Wow. And you're nice. You're so, <laughs> you know? Wow. It's like you're a unicorn. Who knew? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. But I think, you know, being a lobbyist for the adult industry is not an easy job. And to get in the door to speak to members of parliament about adult films or about adult websites or about adult stores, it's not a conversation that many politicians want to have. But, you know, we managed, I managed to get in. And I think that that experience just... I was so lucky to have that experience that I understood the legislative process. I understood how to run a campaign to get electoral reform um, or legislative reform. So that did put me in good stead. But I still like some of the conservative guys here who, you know, ironically, we call our conservative party the Liberal Party, although I guess you're, the libertarians over there would be pretty conservative. Yes, the libertarians uh, over here are definitely conservative. That's, yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. So our our so-called liberal party here, yeah, you can still hear them sniggering behind my back, even you know five years on. But um, you know, they're, I'm sure they're just jealous. Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. So to what do you attribute the steel in your spine that makes you able to do this? Yeah, I'm not sure. I I, I think it's um these sorts of things don't bother me. And I, I wonder, I, I, I traveled a lot as a child. We lived in the States. We lived in England. We lived around Australia. My father was in the Navy and then was with the embassy. And I think when, when my mother moved us, I mean, every time we moved somewhere, she, you know, there was absolutely no expectation that we wouldn't make friends 
that we wouldn't settle in, that we wouldn't just get on with it and um, and enjoy ourselves and 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 settle in. So I, I wonder if that actually set me up for this, that going to foreign places and going to different places and being, you know, and being the new person and 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 being um, and having to sort of form those relationships on a fairly regular basis with that that hasn't enabled me to not sweat the small stuff and not get terribly upset by, you know, people being idiots. <laughs> because you learned that there are idiots everywhere. There's idiots everywhere, that's right. And um and and you shouldn't, you know, and don't waste your energy on them. Yeah. When people were mean to me at school or things like that, there was plenty of people who weren't. You know, and I didn't have to worry about the ones being mean. And so I think just that that resilience that I think my parents gave us through travelling has actually put us in good stead for, you know, just just getting on with it and not sweating the small stuff and and not getting upset by minor issues along the side and really, I, I suppose, trying to, trying to see the job, do the job and stay out of misery. Have there been any delightful surprises since you've, you've been in Parliament? Yes, actually, yes. And I was just talking about this the other day. When I was first elected, another woman was elected at the same time and she was a um, born-again Christian, evangelical Christian. And so the media was kind of like battle of the blonde. And, um, and, and look, we, we had pretty much very similar policy platforms except mine was the opposite of hers. <laughs> <laughs> One of her big things was that she wanted to turn back our abortion laws here. And without the sort of a system as you have in the States, that we don't have the same protection for some of our legislation, um, although I know yours is being challenged as well. Oh, yeah. But I got I got tapped on the shoulder by a woman and whispered, meet you in Jala's office. So to go and, and I walked into this office after I had eventually found it to find seven other women in there from various different parties and we were all in there for the one purpose of ensuring that we protected our abortion laws. And there was conservative women in there. There was women from our progressive parties, the whole range of us, all in there to discuss and to agree that we would stick together to make sure that no laws that turned back the abortion laws got up in this, in, in this state. And so that was wonderful. That is wonderful. Um, it, I love that story. Yeah, it was really nice. And what I found is interesting in politics is that women do politics well when you're allowed to. And we work towards consensus in a much better way. We don't seem to have this notion that you you must win by combat. It's a broad statement, but I have found largely that the women I have worked with, we have collaborated and we have compromised and we have found a common path at the end where that has been more difficult with some of the men here. Not all of them, and a lot of men do want to collaborate and work and appreciate that don't let the perfect get in the way of the good and that can agree to disagree and can work to find the common ground and get legislation passed that way. All right, I have two more questions for you. One is... 
about what's coming next for the Reason Party. Are you, I don't know what your election cycles are like. So are you working on standing up more candidates? Are you hoping to expand outside of Victoria? Or do you have a big legislative push you're working on? What's what's the next few years look like for you? So for me, I've got a, I've got a lot of things I would like to get done in the next few years in the Victorian Parliament. Um, but we do have a federal election coming up in May and we will be running candidates in that election. I think our chances of winning a seat in this election aren't great, but getting our name up there, putting up our issues, providing ourselves with that platform to to raise the issues that we think are important at a federal level and to to give a platform for our new candidates to get better known in their electorates and, and to start building up um, their profile so they can be successful in the next election. So yes, we'll, we will be running candidates. We have our eye on the federal parliament, but we also have our eye on other state legislatures as well as next year um, local government. So we will be running candidates for local government councils as well. So yeah, so we, we, we're hoping to grow substantially over the next couple of years and get elected representatives, particularly into our local government, which then will provide them with a pathway right. to state and hopefully to federal. I've just been re-elected, so I've gone four years ahead of me to start changing the world. And what's on your, your agenda for those four years? Look, drug law reform is a big one for me, and I think it's absolutely crucial that we start treating drug use as a health issue, not as a criminal one, that we recognise that the vast majority of people who use drugs do so responsibly and enjoy it and are not harmed by it. But for those that are, criminalising them and sending them to jail does not make things better. So I'm really looking towards changing the laws around drugs. I'm also looking at social isolation and the growing issue of social isolation and how we as a government can start to address this. And again, I think this kind of goes back to that trust issue that we've, you know, we've got poor and it, trust and infrastructure. So we've got people who are isolated because they haven't got transport. We have people isolated because of mental health. We have people isolated because of their age. And we've got a growing aged community, which I don't think we are planning well enough for. So it's looking at that those challenges. And I think, you know, I think they're, they're going to be really interesting challenges over the next few years and ensuring that the work that we have done on abortion and on assisted dying is not watered down or whittled away, as well as Victoria got the first legal sex workers. We, we legalised sex work in 1985. Really? Um, yes. So we, I think we were the first jurisdiction in the world to legalise sex work and to recognise it just as that, as work. But that those laws are not fit for purpose now. Uh, they're, they're 35 years old. And we have things like the internet. Right, they now. don't know the internet exists, right? Yeah. And the way we work has changed enormously. Yeah. So there is a lot more people kind of working that the internet has allowed them to work in a much more independent way. Uh, so we, they don't require brothels. They don't, they're not required to work in brothels or work via an escort agency anymore, that they want to work independently. And the law doesn't reflect that. Oh. So. 
I'm very hopeful that we can bring bring those laws into the 21st century. There, there is quite a bit of appetite for it because, because the laws are not working for this time, we now have a small legal industry and a very large illegal industry. And is there no risk that by bringing it up that people will want to outlaw it altogether? Or in Victoria, it feels like a settled matter where people are fine with sex work being legal? No, I mean, we've, we've got the McKinnon Dawkins over here as well, and the Nordic people proposing the mm-hmm. Nordic model. But also, when HIV came to Australia, our government was very brave, and they actually funded sex worker organisations. So we actually have some fairly sophisticated and established sex worker rights organisations in Australia. And they provide that sex worker voice into these debates and they do it very well and very fulsomely. And so I I have great faith that our sex workers will provide them far more sensitive voice than the anti-sex advocates in this in this debate. So we've been very fortunate that we've got yeah, well-established um, organisations. Fantastic. Okay, my very last question is, if someone is listening to this who doesn't live in Australia is and is mm. interested in organizing politically around both sexual free- freedom as a main plank in a, in a sort of civil libertarian platform the way that you have, what would your advice be for them? Do it. Look, certainly touch base with us and we'd be we'd be happy to provide any assistance. But really get round your kitchen table and start planning. You know, it, it is possible. And I think, you know, the fact that our society and our community doesn't trust its politicians, they are looking for something new. They are looking for something that seems more honest. And they are looking for alternatives to the stale old politicians that grey, male and stale, as we say here, uh, they are looking for we alternatives, say and I think pale the time mal is and stale here. Pale mal and stale. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I think that's what we say. I think I got it wrong, but yes, I. You know, it, it is possible. My party, the recent party, we were actually we were born out of an industry association, which is unusual. Mostly, people are born out of protest organisations, but but many we're starting to see so many more independents be elected in Australia because. People don't trust the major political parties and they want to trust their politicians. And I think the independent, the woman who's running in her local area, people can see themselves in that person and they believe that that person will actually represent them honestly in the parliament. So I I think the time is right, not just in Australia, but around the world for more of us to put our hands up because we can, we can continue to bitch on the sidelines, but actually being in the tent is a very effective way to create change. Marching to the tent and standing outside it is another way, but being in here is actually probably the most effective way to affect change, positive change in our society. Yes. We need both, right? You need people pressuring from the outside. But yeah. if people are pressuring from the outside and there's nobody on the inside to sort of hold the hands of the, the people who are maybe amenable to change but kind of freaked out, right? Like <laughs> That's uh, exactly right, Jack. And in every campaign I've run, I've always set up a campaign on the outside. So I've always got the groups involved and I've got them lobbying. So I can lobby on the inside, but we've had the groups marching on the outside as well. You know, it's 
it's how those campaigns have have been i think successfully run because we we have in, i've engaged and and we as a community have come together and have worked together and whether that's bringing the the firefighters that were having to to save the people who had overdosed in the street or the ambulance drivers or the local residents that were having to pick up needles in their alleyway bringing all of those people together to campaign is effective but yeah as you say you need somebody on the inside to take it to the table yeah ah oh, i so appreciate you taking the time to talk with us how can people follow you if they're in australia how can they connect with the party but also folks from outside who want to just support or follow your work how can people connect i actually wrote a book last year of course called sex drugs and the electoral role yes um, can I buy that in the United States? Is it on an ebook or something? Yes, I think so. I think, yeah, 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 yeah. I think just Google um, my name and sex, drugs, and the electoral role, and you can find. I know it's they've got it as an ebook, and I think we're we're just talking about doing a um, audio book at the moment. And then there's reason.org.au, and of course, you know all of the social media: Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Fiona Patton, you can find me there. But yeah, look, we love people to get in touch with us from around the world. I mean, this, I, I kind of see reason not just as a political party, but hopefully more as a movement, a movement for change, a movement for reason. And folks can find me all the usual places. JacquelineFriedman.com is my home base on the internet. Uh, I'm at Jacqueline F on Twitter and Jacqueline Fable on Instagram. My name is J-A-C-L-Y-N-F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. And you can find Unscrewed in all the usual places too. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Acast. You know what to do if you want other people to find the show. Just leave us a little short review and five stars. And that's how you bump us up in the search results. Unscrewed is produced by yours truly, Jacqueline Friedman and edited by the fantabulous Natalia Rodriguez. Our in and out music is by The Pink Tiles and our cover art is by Nicole Dodonna and was developed in collaboration with the establishment who also developed the sound cues. Until next week, I'm wishing you all safe and happy sex lives. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.